Alright, so this evening the plan is to finish up the book of Numbers. Uh, we will cover Numbers chapter 36 uh, and then do a brief recap of where we have been in the book of Numbers. And then we will uh, wet your whistle a bit as we prepare ourselves to head into the fifth book of the Pentateuch. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy. So um, the obvious place to begin uh, for the covering of Numbers chapter 36 is Numbers chapter 27. So if you would go to Numbers 27 uh, very briefly so that we can set up chapter 36. So in Numbers 26 there uh, at the time we saw was the second census in the book of Numbers, and of course the reason for the second census was because this is a whole new generation of Israelites after that first generation of Israelites fell in the wilderness. And coming right out of uh, Numbers 26, the second census, um, if you look at Numbers 26, verse 52 and 53, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, among these, that is the peoples of Israel, the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of names. And that leads us into Numbers chapter 27, the first 11 verses, where we have this um, seemingly special case uh, regarding the daughters of Zelophehad. So, uh, Numbers 27, verse 1, Then the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came near. And these are the names of his daughters, Mahalah, Noah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the leaders and all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. And Moses brought their case before the Lord, Yahweh. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad are right in their statements. You shall surely give them a hereditary possession among their father's brothers, and you shall transfer the inheritance of their father to them. Further, you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his own family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be a statutory ordinance to the sons of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And so... We saw at this time, back in Numbers uh, chapter 27, that uh, the daughters of Zelophehad made a, a reasonable plea uh, in the uh, ears of Moses and, more importantly, in the ears of Yahweh. And so we see this statutory ordinance that's established in Israel that if a man has only daughters, then his land is not forfeit. That land goes as an inheritance to those daughters. So let's fast forward now to Numbers chapter 36, where we pick up sort of part two of this story with the daughters of Zelophehad. So Numbers chapter 36, beginning in verse 1. 
And the heads of the fathers' households of the family of the sons of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders, the heads of the fathers' households of the sons of Israel. And they said, The Lord Yahweh commanded my Lord to give the land by lot to the sons of Israel as an inheritance. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord Yahweh to give the inheritance of Zelephahad, our brother, to his daughters. But if they marry one of the sons of the other tribes of the sons of Israel, their inheritance will be withdrawn from the inheritance of our fathers and will be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they belong. Thus it will be withdrawn from our allotted inheritance. And when the Jubilee of the sons of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe to which they belong. So their inheritance will be withdrawn from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. Verse 5. Then Moses commanded the sons of Israel according to the word of the Lord, saying, The tribe of the sons of Joseph are right in their statements. This is what the Lord has commanded concerning the daughters of Zelephahad, saying, Let them marry whom they wish, only they must marry within the family of the tribe of their father. Thus, no inheritance of the sons of Israel shall be transferred from tribe to tribe, for the sons of Israel shall each hold to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who comes into possession of inheritance of any tribe of the sons of Israel shall be wife to one of the family of the tribe of her father, so that the sons of Israel each may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another tribe, for the tribes of the sons of Israel shall each hold to his own inheritance. Verse 10, Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the daughters of Zelophehad did. Malah, Tirzah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, married their uncles' sons. They married those from the families of the sons of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained with the tribe of the family of their father. These are the commandments and the ordinances which the Lord commanded to the sons of Israel through Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. Okay, so you see... Here, the logical connection uh, between Numbers chapter 36 uh, and Numbers chapter 27. So we see that um, the, uh, the heads of Manasseh go to Moses and the other uh, leaders of the tribes. And they bring up this issue of the daughters of Zelephahad again. And, and so what's, what's really driving this here, right? So um, the daughters of Zelephahad uh, here in this specific case... Uh, are obviously uh, possessors of their father's inheritance. And so um, there, there's a sense in which we might consider them to be deemed to be um, attractive, as it were, uh, to uh, any number of uh, Israelite men, even those who are not of the tribe of Manasseh. And so I think uh, there may be some uh, protection uh, from that here. And of course, what they're concerned about is that uh, the tribe of Manasseh, and this would be the uh, half-tribe of Manasseh on the west side uh, of the Jordan River, if you remember Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh had already agreed to take land on the east side of Jordan. So uh, you have this other half of the tribe of Manasseh who are concerned that once they get into Canaan, uh, if one or more of the five daughters of Zelephahad uh, chooses to marry a man from a different tribe in Israel, then uh, upon the year of Jubilee or upon the death uh, of that man, uh, that parcel of land will then be transferred to the male sons 
of that family who then uh, will not be, perhaps, of the tribe of Manasseh. And so uh, there's a great concern here. And you can see that they appeal in verse 2 to uh, the Lord and, and to Moses um, that the, the land of Canaan is to be divided among the tribes of Israel. And whatever plot of land is given to any particular tribe, that land is to remain as the inheritance and possession of that tribe. And so they're concerned here uh, with land-changing tribes, and so the possessions in the land of Canaan being mixed up. And so that is the concern here that we're dealing with in the first few verses. Or, of course, uh, you see in verse 4 that the jubilee of the sons of Israel comes, and so there may be, again, a reapportioning of the land of Canaan. And this is their concern. And once again, as I mentioned back when we were talking in Numbers chapter 27, uh, we noted at that time, uh, and, and I note again today, the importance of the ownership of private property uh, in the land of Israel. Uh, and uh, this is something at the very much at the forefront uh, of, of the concerns of the leaders of the tribes. Uh, and of course, more importantly for Israel especially, uh, this is important to them because these portions of the land of Canaan are an inheritance that were guaranteed to them by the Lord himself uh, as the Lord had promised uh, to Abraham all the way back in, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Right? So this is a very serious deal. So Moses then um, addresses this concern in verses 5 and following. He acknowledges in verse 5 that these leaders of the half-tribe of Manasseh are right in what they're saying. And so he gives the command of the Lord in verse 6. He says, uh, concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, he says, Let them marry whom they wish, only they must marry within the family of the tribe of their father, right? And so we see a couple of different things here. Uh, one, uh, maybe secondly, we see that uh, the requirement for daughters who find themselves in this particular situation is that they should tribe or marry in within their own tribe. In this specific case, it would be the half tribe of Manasseh on the west side of the Jordan. Um, of course, we see in verse 8 that this is now uh, propagated throughout Israel. Uh, you can see, and every daughter who comes into possession of an inheritance of any tribe of the sons of Israel shall be wife to one of the family of the tribes of her or of the tribe of her father. And so we see this is not only not only uh, relevant to the specific case of the daughters of Zelophehad, but it will be relevant any time there is a piece of inheritance that is transferred to the daughter of any father that is a, a, a sister with no brothers. The other thing that's interesting, I think, in verse 6 is this idea of let them marry uh, whom they wish, right? And so I think sometimes uh, we think back to uh, Genesis especially uh, and uh, these arranged marriages, for example, between Isaac and Rebekah that we find in the book of Genesis. Uh, and, and it's very interesting here that in verse 6 of Numbers 36, we see here that the daughters of Zelophehad um, uh, are not uh, involved in um, arranged marriages, but in fact, uh, they are free to marry whom they wish only under the constraint that in their specific case, they would marry somebody from the half-tribe of Manasseh on the west side of the Jordan in the land of Canaan. And then in verse 7, 
uh, here, no inheritance of the sons of Israel shall be transferred from tribe to tribe, for the sons of Israel shall each hold to the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And so this will become uh, very important. Uh, this um, the, the tribes of Israel seeing the land that is apportioned to them in the land of Canaan, uh, there will be uh, a, a large portion of the book of Joshua uh, that is dedicated to the apportioning of the land of Canaan uh, to these nine and a half tribes of Israel. And so this is a very uh, serious deal, at least at the outset, right after uh, the conquest of Canaan by Israel under the leadership of Joshua. Eventually, as you know, uh, the, the land of Israel uh, will, uh, not all of the land will be taken. I hate to ruin sort of the, the middle portion of the movie for you. Uh, but not all of the land actually will be um, uh, conquered by Israel. And there will be some tribes uh, who, in fact, do not uh, acquire their inheritance uh, in the land of Canaan because they refuse to do so. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, after uh, the death of Solomon, the land of Canaan will primarily be apportioned into two kingdoms, uh, the northern kingdom, which is commonly called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is commonly called the kingdom of Judah. And they will receive uh, different prophets, uh, each of those kingdoms. And so that's, that's ultimately where we're headed. But at least at this point uh, in the history of Israel, this apportioning of the land is very much at the forefront of the leaders of the tribes. Again in verse 9, no inheritance shall be transferred from one tribe to another tribe, for the tribes of the sons of Israel shall each hold to his own inheritance. This is the overarching principle, the overarching statute to which the Israelites are supposed to adhere. And then we see in verses 10 through 12 that the five daughters of Zelophehad, in fact, uh, took this advice. They did, in fact, marry uh, their uncle's sons. And uh, they married those, verse 12, from the families of the sons of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. And their inheritance remained with the tribe of the family of their father. And then Numbers chapter 36 ends with this overarching statement as we head into the book of Deuteronomy, these are the commandments and the ordinances which the Lord commanded to the sons of Israel through Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. Okay. So that is uh, Numbers 36 and the book of Numbers proper. So let's spend a little bit of time. It's been, um, this is our 19th session in the book of Numbers, and so uh, we've been at this uh, for a few months now, since the beginning of the year. And so just as we bring the book of Numbers to a close, I just want to revisit uh, a little bit of the overview that we did back on January 13th. So the book of Exodus, as we uh, think about uh, the beginning of the story of Moses and the Israelites, the book of Exodus um, covers... 80 years, 80 years. It begins with the birth of Moses and then it ends with the completion of the tabernacle um, in, uh, in, uh, outside, of course, of Egypt after God has brought the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. And so they are uh, essentially at Sinai 
And, like I said, that book of Exodus covers 80 years, the first 40 years of Moses in Egypt, and then the second 40 years of Moses in the in Midian. And he returns from Midian, of course, and he uh, executes, um, the Lord executes through Moses the ten plagues on Egypt, and then the Lord leads the Israelites out of Egypt and into uh, the, the, um, the wilderness of Sinai. He gives them the book of the covenant in Exodus 20 through 23. And then he gives Moses the vision of the tabernacle. And as I said, at the end of Exodus, 80 years later, um, after Moses is born, the tabernacle is complete. Leviticus, in stark contrast to that, uh, covers only about one month of time. One month of time. And then what we saw here in the book of Numbers, Numbers covers about another 40 years. 39 years to be slightly more exact, but about another 40 years. And so that brings Moses essentially to the age of 120. Um, and as we head into Deuteronomy, um, just to uh, give you a sense of, of, of how long Deuteronomy is, Deuteronomy uh, can be no more than one month itself. So uh, it's very interesting that you have 80 years for Exodus, one month for Leviticus, 40 years for Numbers, and then no more than a month for Deuteronomy, and of course, Deuteronomy will close with the death of Moses, the great intercessor and leader of Israel. What we saw in Numbers, if you remember, were lots of numbers. Specifically, we saw two censuses. There was a census of the Israelites in chapter 1, and there was a census of the Israelites in chapter 26. And of course, the reason why there are two censuses in the book of Numbers is because the uh, two successive generations of Israelites needed to be counted, one at the beginning of the 40 years uh, right after the Exodus and one at the end of the 40 years after the wilderness wanderings. So Numbers really is about what happens to the Israelites during the course of those 39 years as that first generation of Israelites is dying off. The wilderness is a very important uh, motif in the book of Numbers. That particular word is used approximately 50 times, right? And this is a time uh, when God is, is leading the Israelites around and quite literally waiting for that first generation of Israelites that was uh, rescued and redeemed out of Egyptian slavery to die. Right? And so at this time, um, the Israelites, are they're not an agricultural people, so they're moving a lot. You can see that uh, near the end of Numbers. Uh, in Numbers chapter 33, there's a record of where and how they had moved. Uh, they're basically tending their flocks and eating the manna from heaven. God is supernaturally feeding them. And so the book of Numbers covers uh, the, the following travels of the Israelites. So they begin at Sinai uh, after the uh, being given the book of the covenant and then the construction of the tabernacle. They move to Kadesh Barnea. We saw that in uh, Numbers chapter 13 through 20. And, um, and then they move on and a lot of the back portion of the book of Numbers, specifically chapters 22 to 36, uh, ends up in Moab on just the east side of the Jordan River. And so much of what we saw in the book of Numbers is similar to what we've seen previously, uh, especially in Exodus. We see uh, the complaints and the rebellion of the Israelites against Yahweh. Right? And so you have um, specifically and most importantly 
the uh, narrative in Numbers chapters 13 and 14 when the Israelites are at Kadesh Barnea. They're just outside of the southern portion of Israel uh, near what we would call uh, modern-day Gaza. Uh, which is actually in the news a lot lately. And Moses, of course, sends the 12 spies into the promised land. And those spies are to go in to see what the land is like. And, of course, they come back, and and there's one from each tribe. So 12 of them come back after being 40 days um, in the land of Canaan, uh, checking out the place, as it were. And 10 of the 12 spies come back and give a bad report. And by bad report, uh, basically they manifest unbelief. And that unbelief um, is essentially a summary of the fact that the people are too big. We cannot defeat them. Of course, two of the spies, two of the 12 spies, are uh, Joshua and Caleb, who um, remain faithful. Uh, They uh, exhort the Israelites uh, to believe, to believe the promises of Yahweh, Um, but they are shouted down, uh, and in fact their lives are threatened in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And in Numbers 14, um, after uh, Yahweh is angry with the Israelites, Moses intercedes for the Israelites again. Uh, However, the Lord has had enough, and he makes it very clear in verses 20 to 23 of Numbers chapter 14 that these ten times that the Israelites have complained against me and grumbled against me uh, is is all I can take. Uh, And so although I will not kill these people based on your intercession, Moses, uh, these people who have grumbled against me these ten times will in fact not inherit the promises that I gave to Abraham, their forefather. So that Numbers chapter 13 and 14 is truly the turning point uh, of the book of Numbers. And it is a a very important uh, couple of chapters. And it really is uh, the turning point for that generation of Israelites that had been redeemed out of Egyptian slavery. uh, And they were um, destined to fall in the wilderness, everyone except for Joshua and Caleb. Of course, Joshua would be the successor to Moses here just in a few chapters. So, uh, after that, uh, we see in Numbers 16, we have Korah's rebellion. Uh, Numbers 21, we have even the new generation of Israelites complain against God. And again, we've seen uh, this theme before, and we will see it uh, many times again. And then Numbers 21 also has the narrative with regard to the bronze serpent, which is lifted up in the wilderness. And at that time, we were in in the Gospel of John as Jesus uh, compares himself to the bronze serpent that was raised up in the wilderness. So again, we have these two censuses, two different generations of Israelites. And then what we talked about at the beginning uh, of this book of Numbers that you may remember is we talked about the significant parallels uh, between the books of Exodus and Numbers. Um, And I'm not going to go through all of that in detail if you go back uh, to the first session that we had together uh, in the book of Numbers. I went through in, in, uh, in detail those comparisons between Exodus and Numbers. So as you do your daily devotional reading uh, every year or so through the Pentateuch, uh, you may find yourself uh, having sort of deja vu uh, as you read through Numbers 
and uh, you say, didn't I read this in Exodus? And in fact, you did. You read uh, many parallels uh, between Exodus and Numbers. And at the time, uh, back on January 13th, I related that uh, to the chiastic structure uh, of the Pentateuch itself, where Exodus and Numbers are, in fact, very similar uh, books. And then um, we saw, finally, when we did the introduction, uh, I mentioned, again, Numbers chapter 33. And uh, at neither time did I read the entirety of Numbers chapter 33. But Numbers chapter 33 details um, the movements of the nation of Israel through uh, the wilderness, uh, from Sinai all the way through into Moab. And uh, so that is in a, in a very... Uh, short nutshell, or small nutshell, the, a summary of the book of Numbers. Uh, and so I hope that uh, through these last few months, that has given you an opportunity to sort of get your arms around Numbers a little bit, to see uh, what's happening with the Israelites. Of course, also what's in there that I didn't mention was the um, the conquering of, of Og and Sihon, the two kings uh, on the east side of the Jordan, which then uh, subsequently allows the tribes of Reuben and Gad and half of the tribe of Manasseh to take over land on the east side of the Jordan. And as I mentioned, that would be important uh, for when Solomon finally becomes king in Israel a few hundred years later, about 500 years later to to be exact, um, that uh, Israel would have peace under Solomon, from the Mediterranean Sea on the west all the way to the banks of the Euphrates on the east. And that would all be uh, in fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 15. So that is the book of Numbers. I trust that was helpful um, to you. Now, I just want to spend a couple of minutes talking a little bit about where we are headed. So we are, in fact, headed uh, into Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy um, is a word that uh, comes from the Greek Septuagint, essentially, and it means second law, right? Deutero meaning two or second, and nomos meaning law. And so in Deuteronomy, we get the second giving of the law. Of course, it's not a different law from the law that we have already seen, but it is, in fact, uh, a second giving of the law by Moses to the Israelites. And, of course, the reason why he does this is because, again, this is a new generation of Israelites. These Israelites who are alive at the end of the book of Numbers, on the east side of the Jordan, are not the same Israelites who heard the giving of the law at the base of Mount Sinai, specifically Exodus 20 through 23. And so we will see an expanded version of the laws uh, that are given uh, to uh, the congregation of Israel. It's essentially uh, a renewing of the covenant. So here, at a very high level, um, is what we will see in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy begins with a very brief recounting of Israel's post-Exodus history. We will see uh, very early on in Deuteronomy a repeat of the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, right? Again, related to Deuteronomy. Uh, A very uh, short but important piece of scripture, we will see the Hebrew Shema, which uh, appears in Hebrews chapter 6, and Shema essentially means here. So it begins here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so a very important uh, text, uh, not just in the Old Testament, but as related to some text in the New Testament as well. 
Deuteronomy is sprinkled with warnings and promises for obedience and disobedience. We have seen those before. There will be exhortations by Moses uh, to the Israelites to obedience and humility. Um, there will be exhortations uh, to not tolerate, tolerate the idolatry of the Canaanites. Um, that when they go in and conquer the land, the idols of the Canaanites should be destroyed. There will be a recapitulation of the congregational laws, um, not the Levitical laws. And so it is assumed that Eleazar has received the Levitical uh, ordinances from his father, the high priest Aaron. So the the Levitical laws uh, and statutes are not given again in Deuteronomy, but it is a giving of the laws that are applicable, uh, applicable to the larger congregation of Israel. Uh, A very significant portion of Deuteronomy uh, occurs in chapters 27 and 28. That is the curses and the blessings uh, on the two mountains. Of course, the curses for disobedience and the blessings for obedience. And that would be a restatement of something we saw all the way back in Leviticus chapter 26. As I mentioned, there will be a reminder of and a renewal of the covenant which God had made with the Israelites at the base of Sinai. Continued uh, exhortations to be strong and courageous and to believe. Um, There will be a prophecy uh, by Yahweh to Moses right before Moses dies that Israel will in fact not be able to keep the laws that he has given to them and that they will ultimately fall away. Near the end of Deuteronomy, uh, we will get the commissioning of Joshua in anticipation of Moses' death. We'll get the final song of Moses in chapter 32. We'll get the final blessing of Moses on Israel in chapter 33. And then Deuteronomy will finish up in chapter 34 with the death of Moses and the succession of Joshua to the leadership of the Israelites on the verge of the conquest of Canaan. So that is where we we are headed. And that is where we will pick up uh, during the next time that we are in the study through the Pentateuch. So hopefully this was helpful and uh, looking forward to jumping into Deuteronomy next time.